Hello, hello, and welcome back to SEO in the Lab. Today, I have Jamie Alberico with me. Thanks so much for coming in, Jamie. Thank you so very much for having me. It's really good to chat with you again. Yes, yes. I'm so excited. I loved your speech at Engage, and I'm just so excited to get this next 40 minutes to sync with you about some cool technical SEO concepts. It was a lot of fun being on that panel with you. I love that we had the tech SEO panel. We were in this big, beautiful ballroom, and it was two women representing. Oh, so true. And that guy with the plaid shirt. I don't remember your name, sir, but I remember you. <laughs> All right. Awesome. For our listeners, would you mind giving yourself a bit of an introduction? All right. Uh, my name is Jamie Alberico. I live in Denver, Colorado. Fun fact, my name means usurper elf king. That is true. I am the uh, SEO product <laughs> owner for Aero Electronics, which means I wrangle four to six million products in seven languages. That's it. That's all you do, just on a daily basis. Yeah. For yeah. million it's, products. it's pretty. Lo- <laughs> it's pretty low key. It's very chill, you know. <laughs> so like, like, how do you? How do you even manage that? Like, how do you deal with having so many different product lines? You can't do it on a one-off basis. You've got to step back and look at the system as an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, how do we create systematic rules in play that say, "All right, this new PLP has." no translations available in these languages. How do we keep answering the user's requests and getting them through there? What do we do when we sunset products? Uh, how do we even break up our sitemaps? So initially we had you know six million products in a sitemap and every night it rebuilt and it shuffled in order. So I'm just joining this team and trying to understand why is there this gap in our product index coverage? Indexation. I dare you, Barry. You can't interrupt me now. Um, <laughs> um, like first line, throwing down the gauntlet. Throwing down the gauntlet. For those of you who don't know, if you say indexation three times, it's like a Beetlejuice effect for Barry Adams. He will appear. Um, it is. It is called index coverage, and we had a significant gap in it for Aero Electronics. So I'm going through these site maps and then realizing. This sitemap is different every time. What is happening here? So worked with my dev team. I have been lucky enough for the majority of my career to be embedded with dev teams to break it out by product line. So now, you know, we have 940 product lines. Well, our 6 million products fall into those. A technical SEO that's embedded within a development team. Do you find that that system works really well for a technical SEO? And do you have a component that is a more content-heavy side? Yes. I am lucky enough to have a content SEO team who handles you know, building our new content, identifying gaps, places that we can reach more people who are looking for what we offer. But being embedded with a dev team, especially when it comes to you know, launching new code bases, migrations, new features, every piece of that. When you have the ability to sit down and talk with your devs and go, hey, my JavaScript boot up time is really heavy here. My, mm-hmm. like I'm a page, I'm personifying a page. Um, how do we go ahead and break this down? What caching elements can we use? It's, it's really effective because you have that ongoing feedback back and forth and there's not that disconnect of, I've put in a ticket and I'm going to hope for the best. Definitely, definitely. I like the idea of having those two different teams closer and more intimately tied to the source. I feel like that's an interesting model, one that's newer. In the past, have you ever worked with any other companies that did something similar, or is this kind of also a newer concept for you as well? Uh, My first in-house SEO job, I started as 
a marketing SEO. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was I was primarily focused on this blog, on this education center, but I monitored all the pieces and there was just a point where, wow, my top keywords just dropped 23 spots. What's going on? Oh no, my end my index is bleeding out. I'm losing 40,000 pages a week. Um, and by digging into that, began to work more and more with the developers. Eventually, mm-hmm. we formed a front-end team, so uh, SEO, UX, the developers, our QA. We were all on one team together. This is the first time that I'd gotten experience a team build like that, but I found mm-hmm. that because we were so interconnected, because we all had different insights and knowledge, having the team work together as a single cohesive unit produced the best product. And do you think that's a direction, a strong direction for a lot of e-commerce companies that they're heading into to more specialized areas of SEO? Uh, I really hope they are. I really Mm -hmm. hope that people can take an approach of SEO isn't just about organic traffic acquisition. It's a reflection of your overall site health. This is impacting all other mediums. We're just the ones that can see it. Definitely, definitely. And in researching your resume, which is awesome, by the way, um, I found that you did a lot of CRO work before. You have a background in writing. Um, What was your journey like to be more on the technical side of things? Ah, So the trick here is to graduate college during a recession. And while you're pondering (laughs) life, because old times are longer than normal, and you really just need to explain to your student loan officer, I want to pay you and I want to eat. How do we work this out? You begin to find a way to take that English degree and put it to some frame of use. And for me, that started off as uh, blogging. I was actually a blog outreach manager. I was one of those people that I now ignore in my LinkedIn inbox. This is pre-Penguin. We didn't know any better. <laughs> it, was, um, it was okay back then, you know? Yeah, it was okay. You know, and that's the thing about our field is it constantly adapts. It's constantly mm-hmm. evolving. Everything you know, like RIP, REL, next and previous. Oh, gosh, I was going to ask up. how you felt about that. But It makes sense. It truly does. If we yeah. look at the use of technical signals when they're not correct, correctly implemented or there's just difficulty with the code going ahead and acknowledging consolidating that it makes sense to go no yeah i guess too like the first page is the most important page typically in those type of sets right ideally you know if we've got an e-commerce site that has uh, a product line made of sixty thousand products which is a world i live in Mm -hmm. um it would be great to be able to break those down and have them be more specific and more relevant like what makes these sixty thousand products different from each other yeah and do you find it a challenge doing that? Like I, th- that might be more of your content team too, but like uh, no, it's actually our our um, our data team that handles that because oh, cool. <laughs> when it comes and this is the thing about being in this place with dev teams is I get to work with architects, I get to work with DevOps, I get to work with developers, mm-hmm. all these aspects. Um, it's very much like any form of machine learning. You need good clean data in to get good clean data out. Yeah. Um, so identifying. You know, I assume that so-and-so controls this. Well, time to take a step back and examine that assumption, sit down, have a cup of coffee with them and be like, oh, I misunderstood what your role is here, but now I know, and now I know the next person I need to talk to. And now I know you're really actually very important. (laughs) So about that email last week, just throw it in the trash. <laughs> I like to think that I don't underestimate people's importance. I'm sure I've I've not included a smiley face where I should have, and it came off a little too uh, direct. But we do our best, and we learn, and we grow. 
Have you ever watched that explained episode on exclamation points on Netflix? This is very specific. So Netflix has a show from Vox, which is called Explained, and they have a whole episode about the exclamation point. And you as a writer, you might be more informed about this, but apparently for many years, the exclamation point has been considered useless by writers. There's like no point. It's like nobody uses it ever. And they talk about the rise of the exclamation point as starting with marketing, but then actually being attributed to linguistically women being in the workplace because you need a way to soften your message, but at the same time, be able to express your thoughts out. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting. So he's saying, oh, I didn't add a smiley face. I was like, that's based on genuine (laughs) feedback I've received. Oh, really? (laughs) Like, oh, sometimes your emails come off as too direct. And, And to be honest, I've often wondered in scenarios like that if my my male counterparts have received that same kind of oh, they definitely feedback have <laughs> like there's no way they have <laughs> like hey you were really direct in this email and you made someone over here cry why it's like you said exactly what you wanted <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah gosh yeah it's tough mm, I feel like we oh we were talking about how I got in the SEO and we've got yeah. an amazing beautiful tangent okay, awesome. <laughs> on this tangent I want to ask you another kind of tangential question about you um so what does absolutely camera bolts mean I know it's your handle and I'm like really curious <laughs> literally uh very little <laughs> very little it's just super edgy. back back in the day uh, in a past life I had a custom prop shop. prop shop so we had our booth at the very first denver comic-con we made uh, a lot of people when they did these cosplay outfits and um, they would paint a nerf gun and we always thought that was a little bit well like well, all right i guess it gets the job yeah. done and this this shop's goal was okay no we're gonna make something that is functional that shoots a fireball that shoots <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, we, we built these beautiful little derringers that would shoot fireballs and use an antique jewelry box to case them in. And no. um, I doubt any of the pop culture cons or comic cons would let you in with them. But the idea was, here's your piece of, piece of authenticity. Here's something that makes this world a little bit more real. Um, it didn't last very long, but it was a fun adventure. That's so nice. My partner was Professor Volts. Uh, I was Jammer Volts. <laughs> Because I handle all the communications and Jammer refers back to like World War II radio communications. It's also a derby term. So I apologize to every derby girl out there who's like, you're not a Jammer. Why are you using that? (laughs) I didn't know any better. I've had this name a long time. I would love to do derby. I've got elbow talons. Let's do this. (laughs) You can reach her at Jammer Vaults on Twitter. (laughs) Awesome. No, that's so cool. That's actually like an amazing story for a handle. So (laughs) that's awesome. Okay, cool. So one of the questions that I get a lot is um, how do you learn technical SEO? And I feel like you as someone who's gone through this process, what are some resources that you've learned from and found really useful? Uh, You learn from being curious and questioning. I could honestly say most of my career, most of my success has been from taking a step back from assumptions of how a process works, of how you know this piece of data gets here, on going, I'm seeing behavior that's different. Mm. What is the gap between these? And being willing to be the dumbest kid in the room mm. has been my greatest strength because it lets me ask dumb questions. And then I can come to understand, 
oh wait, transaction means something different to you when you're referring to uh, server heads. Mm -hmm. And for me, it means an e-commerce transaction. Mm -hmm. Identifying that codex and even finding the words for things, knowing, ah, this has a name. Definitely. So do you think that listening and being able to question is a weapon? Like you're almost like your weapon? That is my superpower. Your superpower. Oh, that's such a that's a good one. Like that's actually a really, really good superpower. So if you were to have an actual superpower, what would it be? Do you know? I would have the ability to teleport. Teleport. Oh my god, that'd be such a nice one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so you obviously work with developers a lot. Um, any any tips, tricks, thoughts? on like what it's like to work with developers and getting them to do what you want them to do. And maybe even I'm interested too in like, how do you resolve conflicts? So if they're very resistant to what you want, how do you get them to come around to your side or no, like when to back down? Absolutely. There tends to be two uh, frames of thought. And I actually worked as an advocate to get uh, the marketing SEO side to begin adding in JIRA tickets. JIRA is this fantastic way of managing your backlog and getting things moving, prioritized. Um, it was a running joke for a while that our, our lovely head of SEO at the time, his name was Brad, he would just send me tickets that were like, website broken, please help. <laughs> <laughs> so it became, let's have a conversation about what information is valuable. Yeah. Uh, developers are very literal. They want to give you the product that you want. Mm -hmm. But unless you clearly define that, it's a big gap. So part of it is learning to speak the same language. It's learning, okay, what, what does the ticket process look like? When I put a ticket in, what human would I have a conversation with? Because typically business analysts are involved and they help get additional information. Uh, I'm pretty notorious for when I first joined teams over-documenting. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I found a substantial issue. I'm going to bring it to the table. If you have questions, can we hold them until I get through the first 23 pages of this? And then we can go to the, the supporting Excel books and we can examine this further. So really making a case, letting them reproduce it, mm -hmm. showing them with a diagnostic tool exactly what is the problem and what the goal is. Definitely. You know, I've worked in teams where uh, they called the dev pod the shark team. The shark team. Because everyone was afraid to go in there. You'd get eaten alive. Um, developers, a lot of times, are wearing headphones mm -hmm. with nothing playing. And it's a social cue of, I am in a complex thought process. And I'm not able to, to have a conversation right now. So part of it is going to be acknowledging how important the issue you're facing is. Is, is the site literally on fire? Mm -hmm. Okay, if it's not, going ahead and interrupting someone who's working in a complex process, process who's going to have to take you know, 20 minutes to get back to where they were once they stop may not be worthwhile. So how do you take something like a, a ticket format, lay out all those critical pieces, and then have that conversation? So the first thing I would advocate to any SEOs out there who are a little bit scared of your dev teams, ask to sit in and stand up. Mm -hmm. This is the morning meeting where devs are going to go, this is what I'm working on. This is where I'm blocked. This is what I'm working on next. Mm -hmm. Start there and just be a fly in the wall. It's okay not to be able to contribute immediately, but you're going to learn a lot. And once you understand how to speak that language, getting what you are asking for done effectively will become easier. Definitely. I love that idea of like almost going in, infiltrating your aspire something. <laughs> be the dumbest kid in the room. Own it. <laughs> like take it, accept it, embrace it. That's awesome though, because I'm sure eventually like 
I'm sure you found that you've graduated throughout the ranks and now you're probably one of the smarter people in the room. Or at least midlife. <laughs> like I'm sure there's some really smart people you work with. Oh no, there's still on a regular basis moments where I'm like, Jeff, I have no idea what you're saying right now. I like to call him, I like to say Jeff Dream Crusher, last name. Because um, he frequently comes to me and goes, hi, this thing that you want to fix, this thing you want to change, well, you're pulling on a string. So a lot of times, really, I'm sure many SEOs have go- out there have gone, this is the stupidest thing. Why have we done it that way? Why won't you just do it this way? Well, that comes down to fundamental architecture. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you pull on that thread, you're going to release a lot more problems you're going to solve. Mm-hmm. So having the awareness of how this one thing you want to change in the ecosystem will impact other pieces, will impact other teams' initiatives, is critical for you to be successful in these large environments. Definitely. Yeah, you don't want like a full yarn ball going out everywhere, creating a mess. <laughs> it's going to anyways. <laughs> You're like, well, it will happen. One day you will. <laughs> One day you will bring a site down. To- isn't, isn't that still the running joke? It's not your site until you break it? <laughs> I guess that's true. I have broken one too many sites in my day. <laughs> not obviously our client sites, but... <laughs> In full transparency, I've been working on friends' sites and, you know, doing my, I've been in the HTT access file and I've been, you know, just writing the mod rewrite so it could go ahead and resolve all versions of the preferred and accidentally taken down their site because I I wrote a dumb regex statement. Yeah, that'll do it. And then just keeping a calm poker face and be like, yes, what are you doing this weekend? While bringing their site back up. Everything's (laughs) fine. Everything's great. Yeah. Let's, why don't you two talk for like two minutes? Yeah, that's great. Let me just put my headphones in for a second. <laughs> I feel really thankful that I, I got into SEO very early on. I mean, relatively speaking, starting in 2008, caffeine was 2006. Google was finally on everyone's radar. We weren't asking Jeeves anymore. But <clears throat> because it was so unknown, it gave me a lot of freedom to fail. Definitely. What do you feel like are some of the things that have changed within the industry since you started? Do you feel like there's been like a huge shift? There's textbooks now. There's textbooks. I've I've had people ask me, you know, how did how did you learn? What classes did you take? And I'm like, oh, boots on the ground and a prayer in my pocket. <laughs> it was I don't know, but I'll figure it out. You know, a lot of complex problem solving and being willing to sit down with people on being willing to sit outside, you know, a CTO's office for two hours and wait patiently because something was important enough. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine. So I know that one of the things that I've always felt about working for an agency is the coolest part is you get to see a ton of different complex problems that different clients have in different industries. And I feel like you've almost got that through going through different jobs, seeing different types of things, working with like particular sites. I think that's, like you said, learning on the job is probably one of the most important things that one can do. And, you know, if you're limited, a lot of it's hard because you don't have the access to that type yeah. of thing. Uh, I remember I was I was lucky enough to work with the Google Analytics product owner mm-hmm. in um, getting enhanced e-commerce in when it was first a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was really tricky because there were no sites out there that already had these mm-hmm. things. You know, we were whitelisted for it. It was a beta. Um, it, was a, it was amazing data to take advantage of. It took like a year for them to put up the demo store so you could go ahead and look at the sandbox testing ground. And I think Google has embraced that as well. Mm-hmm. You haven't gone to check out Code Labs yet or you know, begun using Colab 
workbooks in your Google Drive to start playing around with code. I highly recommend yeah. it. It's that freedom to fail. Definitely. Yeah. And it's really cool because I've always felt, and I don't know if you felt this and your experimentation with programming, that the worst part is the setup. Oh, getting your libraries right. Oh, please kill me now. Actually, Hamlet, uh, Batiste uh, shared out a great way just over coffee and chatting at Tech SEO Boost. Great conference, guys. The only Tech SEO conference out there. Shout out. Thank you, Paul and Search Catalyst team. But he was like, hey, here's how you export all of your library dependencies when you share this. You're like, thank you. So one of my biggest challenges was not only setting it up, but then making it so someone else could use it. Um, far smarter minds than myself, like Hamlet, have gone ahead and figured this out and are sharing that information. Yeah, definitely. And there's always a lot of people with Python will use something like Anaconda. But if you go in blind or either, and yeah, I don't know, positive, optimistic, and you're like, oh, like, let me download the newest Python, Python 3. And then, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. They designed it on Python 2.7. And you're like, well, what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing works. Exactly. Well, a big difference, a very, very big difference. But that's why uh, those collab research workbooks are so great because you're working in a Python notebook that gives you that same interface as Anaconda does where you can run each segment, you can identify your breakpoints, you can rework it. Definitely. And you can do some pretty intense stuff in there, like some pretty intense machine learning stuff. So pretty cool, pretty cool. Great tip. Having worked in e-commerce, technical SEO, what do you see as the relationship between e-commerce websites and search? You can't buy a thing that doesn't exist. And if you can't Google it, does it exist? Admittedly, you know, we have Amazon as, as Google's largest competitor because they're so effective at selling. And if we really dig deep into the bones of how e-commerce is set up, and mm -hmm. you start looking at what, what data are we even sending in our product feeds? Because chances are I'm using that same data in my structured data markup. How can we learn from these other tools? So a lot of collaboration with the, the channel manager, the person who's sending out that product feed to Amazon, to Google, to any other of the paid search partners. They have a lot of insight that we can gleam, but it's that willingness to go, I want to learn about your world. I'm going to sit here and be the dumb kid for a second, and I'm going to come out a lot better for it. Mm -hmm. So talking about the dumb kid, I have a question for you. What does SEO as a function of product mean? Well, you mentioned that in an earlier conversation we had once, and I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> You're like, oh, that one time that we, we talked intensely for like two days with way too much coffee. <laughs> I know that when it comes to how I report in my current position, mm -hmm. my pro my customer is a search engine. It is Googlebot. It is mm -hmm. it's primarily Googlebot because you know we have a JavaScript heavy site. We're working towards moving to more server side rendering, at least for those critical components. So international search engines are more adept at picking up what that content means. Mm -hmm. um, personally and persistently on a mission to improve performance. Mm -hmm. I really encourage anybody out there who is working with an international site, go travel abroad mm -hmm. and don't rely on your, your 4G Wi-Fi. If you can, mm -hmm. you know, pick up a, get a SIM card from one of the local shops, pop that thing in and experience what it is like for you to spend 11 cents to load, load a page. And suffer. You'll have, <laughs> yeah, and you, it'll be five minutes of your life. 11 cents of your dollar, how likely are you at that moment to be like, yeah, this is worth buying. I wonder how long their cart process is. Mm. Oh, I've got to register. How much more likely are you to back off? 
So how do you balance, I'm always curious with this for e-commerce sites, what, is there any internal logic on how do you balance the experience with speed and how do you know when to start focusing on one or the other? Speed is the experience. It's, it's the foundation of it. Yeah, that's the tough part too, is they are kind of like the same thing, but then at the, again, yeah. there's always the optimization of the actual experience itself. So Define for me optimization. So like, let's say for instance, you know what you want to have with your website experience, but maybe it's yes. not necessarily as fast as it could be. Mm-hmm. Basically getting like a minimal viable product ready. Mm-hmm. Your code works, everything's good, but then it's not as efficient as it could potentially be. Look at the number of elements in the page. Yep. As something I would advocate for. There is a great Think with Google piece that just came out um, in the last year that talks about the number of elements and image on the page. Mm-hmm. And where is that sweet spot for conversion? And it's not that you can't have these functionalities. Yep. This is where we begin to look at our user-centric uh, key performance indicators. And those are things like time to first contentful paint. Yep. That is one of those metrics. And in Lighthouse, it's a very obscure thing to try and understand, but it means the thing I came here for, I can see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one cares about content that they can't see loading. So when you even look at the UX, when you look at the experience of your page, keeping in mind that user, what is the reason they came here? Yep. It's, it's like, uh, it's become a little bit of a trope now, but you go and try and read a recipe online. And you're like, I don't care about your second cousin's wedding. Can I just find out how to make muffins, please? Um, but keep that in mind. So true. Like the intent of a website and why you're going there is so mm-hmm. important to consider. So I guess I like your idea of coming in at it from a user first perspective. Because I think sometimes like, I think there's a quote on one of the Google trainings. I'm pretty sure you did this certification too, but because um, I saw you had done it. But basically it says the smallest site is a site with no resources on it, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, like you have to have something to get that experience going, right? And it has to be worthwhile. Yes. If, if your content is good enough, when I get to the bottom of that article, I promise you I'll click on that follow-up link. Yep. If what you've provided to me is of enough value and engaging, mm-hmm. I will go ahead and click that CTA. You do not need to put an overlay on my screen and stop what I came here for. I'd be like, hey, do you like me yet? <laughs> You're coming off a little thirsty, okay? <laughs> You're interstitial with thirsty and knock it off. <laughs> You're like, you're looking desperate. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And a website is a window into how a business runs. And if a business's push to get more email signups is more important than why I came here as a user, the resource I came here for, that shows that this is not a user-first company. And there are plenty of companies out there. I love that analogy of a website is a window to a business. That's so beautiful. And I think I actually... I think it's 100% true across the board. You think about it, and if you see a website that you know isn't necessarily prioritizing the user, then you can tell that they're not—they don't have that mentality. Absolutely, and I find REI does a great job of shout out REI team. You do beautiful work, even in mm-hmm. the values of the company. So how they choose to not only here's the product you wanted to buy, but here's a community that mm-hmm. loves the things you do. Or, hey, you're not sure if this thing is right for you. Do you want to try like a day experience for it? And it's it's about technology serving the user. And that is a, it's a tipping point we're at right now. A lot of people have reacted mm-hmm. with a lot of anger that, hey, you know, Google broke this agreement we had where 
we would give them content mm-hmm. and they would give us clicks. Well, if the content you're providing could be answered very quickly in this quick little block, instead of me having to read mm-hmm. about your second cousin's wedding, I just yeah, want the like, muffin recipe. Need a muffin. Think of it that way. If that's the only value you were providing, sorry, it makes sense to not go ahead and give you that click through. If you're providing more, if that snippet that I've seen is engaging enough and will give me more information, then yeah, I'm going to go ahead and click that. I'm going to give you my time. So humans have time, energy, and money. We've got Red Bulls everywhere. Mm -hmm. We can make more money, but time is limited. That's Mm -hmm. the true human factor. That's why performance is part of UX. Are you worth my time? I love that. Exactly. Because there's something Frederick in his in his interview on SEO in the lab had talked about websites and the idea that are you worthy of me giving you my credit card information? Exactly. I think that idea of are you worth my time, it even goes beyond that, you know, because it's like, first of all, are you trustworthy? But then also, are you interesting enough? <laughs> like, Do I feel like I'm empowered? Do I feel smart and capable on your site? Yes. If I don't understand how to flow and interact with this to do a simple thing, it's disparaging. Yeah. I'm not going to feel like I can handle these next steps. I'm not going to feel like the thing I came here to purchase is going to give me the feeling, the experience that it's intended to. Yeah. And we're so spoiled because so many websites today have such a strong user experience that we're not used to challenging user journey flows. (laughs) Friction points are real. Yeah. Absolutely. You know who I love, they have a great map. Starbucks always has like these amazing user journey maps that they update all the time. And I'm sure different people in the organization really? have half of them. But some of them you can find online that they have and they map out every single part in the user journey from like the feeling that they want them to have when they get in the shop to like the feeling yeah. that like ordered the coffee. So it's always like very impressive to see like that level of user focus and what they want. Please share that link. Yeah. I would love to see that. Yeah, see if I can find it. I think um, Kevin Indy. Of course, Kevin has it. That man is, if you guys don't follow Kevin on Twitter yet, go do it. Okay. He's from, he's from the Jira team actually. So his tool helps save my tail on a daily basis. Like, and he's brilliant. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for being you. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it was one of the things that he had shared. So he, um, I'll follow up with him on, I'll check the site and see if I can find it for the notes in this podcast. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think are the top challenges facing large e-commerce sites today? Oh man, that is such a loaded question. All right. So if you've got a large e-commerce site and it was, it was set up a minute ago, you know, it's been online for a while. It's trustworthy. It's got authority. Well, there are two aspects here that are pretty challenging. One, how is it scaled out? Is every different section of the site an independent CMS? Are they aware of each other? Are they integrated? Mm-hmm. That provo- uh, it's an information architecture challenge that can result in, in cannibalism and really difficult user journeys, high friction conversion points. We also have to look at, for a while, sites focused their performance metrics on full page load. And that ended up with a lot of hole punching and going, well, we'll get the full page on there and then we're going to make all these asynchronous calls. We're going to load everything that way. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a way to make it appear to be smaller without actually being smaller or faster. Mm-hmm. So now that's, that's led to our pivot for these user-centric metrics where, well, how long until I can be interactive? If I came here 
and I'm on a PDP, I want to buy this thing. So get me the content that tells me, hey, here's the thing you came to buy. Here's the critical info you need to know, a price, how fast it ships. Here's a picture. You know, images are so important because of the closest we can get to a product while being online. And here's our buy button. And the further I go down that page, the further I'm going to be away from ready to purchase. I need help. I need more information to know I'm making the best decision. Definitely. And this is a question that's in a similar vein, but what do you see as the most critical elements of e-commerce SEO to get right? That is, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) What do you need to do to do it well? (laughs) Um, I need you to go ahead and pull out your phone on your own website Mm -hmm. and try to buy a product. Go in incognito mode, turn off that Wi-Fi, try and buy a product. If you can do that and you don't need to go take a walk around the block and chill, doing all right. You're doing Then take a step back (laughs) and you're going to repeat it and you're going to try and find that product, not using search, by using the categorization. Ooh, I love that idea. Yes. You have to go through your own hierarchy to complete this. Okay. Now you've bought the one thing. You've bought a toaster. Now we're going to switch from, I want to buy a toaster to, I'm a user who wants to host brunch. So that means I'm not just looking for a toaster. I'm looking for um, napkins. I'm looking for plates. I'm looking for, if it's Kentucky Derby, um, I think Moscow Mules, is that where Kentucky Derby, that, is that the drink of choice? We'll go with it. We're going to pretend <laughs> it is for the sake of argument. <laughs> Everyone loves Moscow Mules and big fancy hats and there's horses. Mm-hmm. Um, but go through that journey and try and have an experience. Try and complete that. If you can't, then we've identified another problem. And this is where you start to begin to understand from a user, focus, where are my gap points? Well, I'm on this article that tells me how to make a Moscow mule because I'm holding a Kentucky Derby party. But there's no link for me to buy the thing. Mm-hmm. Or there's, there's various dead ends. And you want to spot those. That's both for SEO and CRO. If we look at it from a search engine perspective... Google wants to give us really authoritative answers, particularly when we're asking higher level questions. So if we're having a conversation with the topic of Star Wars, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Siths, Jedis, Ewok, Han Solo, Yoda, and that's just going to be part of a well-informed conversation. We're like, oh, remember that time Jar Jar Binks happened? That was a thing. That was weird. But <laughs> it's, it's a naturally informed conversation. Mm-hmm. And search engines want that same kind of interconnectivity between content on your site. Mm-hmm. They want you to have a strong branch, like on a tree. And then it will judge you based on how these branches go off. Is this a healthy branch? Is this a weak one? Is this a parasitic one that's really detracting and not able to support the user's intent? But we have a strong one over here. Mm-hmm. You can also stop me anytime no, 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 and be like, this- your analogies make no sense. No, I was like, oh, you're doing so well. I just wanted you to just keep going. And I was like, I'll stop her for the closing question if we get there. Okay, the downside of my passionate rants is every time I get in front of sea level, and this is another piece of feedback that I get on a pretty regular basis, is you've got to take a step back from the technical. It's very difficult for me to separate out those pieces because the devil is in the details. He's in the execution. Um, so it's not 
what you do, it's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still personally learning in my own growth how to effectively communicate those to the people who can push the button and say, go. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a huge challenge too, being able to like communicate to someone who doesn't understand what's going on. I think, but then also you have to get them to do or invest in what you're doing, even though they don't understand what you're doing. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, You know, who am I speaking to? Is this a good time to make a logical argument? Uh, You know, a very passionate, emotional based argument. What is the best way to approach this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So have you found anything that's really effective so far? In your journey? Dollar signs. Dollars. Yeah, I feel like that's the number one. It's like, tell me how much this is going to cost me. <laughs> how much money will I make? And not even how much it's going to cost, but how much can be gained. Yeah. So when you present it as, look, we have the assets here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have, and this is a great time to work with your product content management team to understand those who are uh, taking in data for new products, who are helping to categorize them, mm-hmm. what kind of relationships we're facilitating with manufacturers to go. And you basically lay Easter eggs for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I like to go ahead and consider SEO as like a booster pack. I'm not going to come in and demand that you guys rework everything that you do, mm-hmm. but I'm going to help you as you execute to be foundationally solid, to be stable, to be scalable. And to begin to have an awareness of other parts of the system. So when we connect all of these together, when it's an ecosystem that understands uh, my manufacturer over here has you know, made this new product line and we have a relationship, we're promoting them. Mm-hmm. What places could we go ahead and put relevant information about those products on other places? Mm-hmm. So I have a new manufacturer who's making uh, copper mugs Kentucky Derby is coming up. Where do I place those so they are relevant to a user and provide value Mm -hmm. as opposed to the thing I have to scroll past Mm -hmm. or the thing that takes forever to load and that makes my page jump? If your site does that, please make someone who can push a button go through that experience. Mm -hmm. Definitely. (laughs) But um, so one of the questions I asked was, do you think an SEO can one day sit in the boardroom? I love that question and I want to take it on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think if SEOs like myself learn how to speak, you know, this is a new codex I'm learning. This is a new Rosetta Stone, how to translate my intent and what I want to see done into words that they understand and have meaning to them. Mm-hmm. But we are advocates of web presence, of users, of performance. We should absolutely sit in the boardroom. We are a place to go. This isn't just about selling things. It's about selling them in a way that is meaningful, mm. that supports users. Mm. Because when a user feels like you have their back, they're going to come back to you. So this is an investment in a lifetime value. You can turn and burn through customers. You can you know, miff them over. But it's going to run out one day. It's not an indefinite supply. Mm-hmm. So by being that presence who goes there, and we use search engines as a way, as a mirror to see the, a reflection of overall site health, a reflection of overall user experience through our analytics on page, then we begin to understand and we can present that in the boardroom and we can grow the business by making that experience better. This is a digital world. How do we keep up with the next step? Definitely. It's so fascinating how almost websites and working on sites have almost gone back to more traditional sales values. Because I just remember watching this 
there's like um, this ride called It's a Small World. I don't know if you've ever heard at Disney. It's yeah. like one of the most famous ones. I don't know, whatever. I'm not like a, it's like teacups, I'm not yeah. a big Disney person. No, no, no. It's like, um, so basically you go into it and it takes you in this world and everyone's like saying it's a small world for like 20 minutes straight. And I'm sorry, I don't know that song. Can you sing it again? <laughs> in the world after all. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got some of my, my beautiful. Worst podcast episode ever. I'm sorry, guys. No one's going to listen to me. They're going to be like, oh, that one. She's the worst. She just derailed conversations for It's a Small World song. <laughs> They're like, oh, shield your ears. <laughs> Alexis is singing. No, but basically, um, the woman who created that ride had asked Walt Disney, what is my budget? And she was like, I, oh, I need a budget. Like, what are you looking at? What are we trying to achieve here? And his answer was, oh, there's there's no budget. And she was like, well, like, we kind of need a budget. <laughs> and he's like, no, build the ride that people are going to want to come back to. Because if they come back, then we don't have any problems, which is kind of like a fun business philosophy <laughs> that probably. And then you have advocates. Exactly. And like, that's almost similar to what you're saying here is build the site that people are going to want because then you'll be able to have people come back to it in a way that's meaningful and interesting to them. Which, man, Disney. Absolutely. Ahead of his time. Behind his time in many ways, but ahead of his time in like a few. <laughs> if your frozen head is listening to a podcast right now, thank you. And also, what the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> Emotions rushing through us at the same time. Okay. All right. So for the final closing question, what are your three nuggets of advice for an SEO working on a technical e-commerce site? My three nuggets of advice are go buy something. Do it through product categorization where you've mm-hmm. got to go down and find it. Mm-hmm. Do it when you find it on the PDP. Mm-hmm. Do it when you're trying to have that uh, experience, that conceptual journey that goes across categories. Yep. I love that one. Understand how products come on and off your site. How are they onboarded? At what point is there a PDP? At what point does that PDP go away? Mm-hmm. Such a good one too. We could also talk about that for probably another hour. <laughs> how to offload. We'll talk about that. We'll have a Disney sing-along. It'll be great. I love rocking out to poor unfortunate souls. <laughs> Ursula, you're my personal I don't know if you're my spirit animal or hero. It's one of the two. <laughs> Characters in The Little Mermaid. Not like the Disney version, but the original story. The Disney version bothered me as a child. Really? Because I just thought to myself, write it down. <sighs> you're like, obviously. This could all be solved if you wrote a note that was like, hi, I met you the other day. You were drowning. I saved you. I really liked you and impulsively traded my voice for some legs. Yes. You're like, and it was not a great decision in retrospect. <laughs> yeah. I think I ate my friend for dinner. He was a small crab. <laughs> and I still feel really bad about it. <laughs> I feel like if she had, if she had lived on, finished out her days on land, it would have been really sad. Now they've been like, oh, we're having founder for dinner. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. I think we answered the question of whether or not Ariel was vegan. And Ariel was definitely vegan. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> she just she went out to the o- ocean every day and she sucked in krill. <laughs> oh, my God. 
No, those are living, so that wouldn't be vegan. Ooh, complex dietary ethics for Ariel. I'm sure there's a specific word for what she was. <laughs> she definitely was. All right, uh, sorry, I was supposed to answer another negative sorry. advice. Um, <laughs> understand your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So say you've got a blog and your blog is categorized. Do you use the same categories in your blog as you use in e-commerce? How does that connect through with... Um, uh, if you've got community support or questions, understand the flow of those. If you be- can begin to use the same words to describe something, you create consistency mm-hmm. and base those words off of what your users are going for. You know, we look at site search, and a lot of times the conversion rate is five times that of those who are trying to find it another way. How do you facilitate that pathway? Because when you do that, it's not just about the user experience. You're also allowing a chance for a greater order of value, for a greater sense of investment from that user who's now engaged with your content. Mm. It's it's selfishly altruistic. I love that word, selfishly altruistic. But that's almost like what a lot of friendships are. You know, think yeah. about it. Like you have to take care of yourself first, but you also have to take care of the people around you too. You know, and by taking care of the people around you, in a way, you're taking care of yourself. And loving someone, another person, and this works interpersonally as well, mm-hmm. um, for their flaws. Being willing to acknowledge your own mm-hmm. and figure out how you know you can learn better or do better or just being able to laugh at them. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. So beautiful. <laughs> well. I mean, I think the uh, the video game goat simulator taught us that a bug can truly be a feature a bug can truly be but it's in how we handle it (laughs) humans have bugs we treat them as part of the experience they become a feature i love that and with the goat which is the bug which is the feature we will close out thank you so much jamie for coming on the podcast today thank you this has been wonderful we should totally do it again soon Yes. We'll try and stay better on topic, but I make no promises. I thought it was off. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Signing off. Ciao. Thanks for listening to SEO in the Lab. I hope it was super useful. Make sure to check out technicalseo.com backslash insights backslash podcast to get episode notes, transcripts, and some bonus content. Also, if you have any questions or feedback, reach out at seointhelab at merkelinc.com. You can also catch me on Twitter at Alexis K. Sanders. Thank you so much, Hanshen, for intro and outro music. Until next time, this is Alexis signing off. Ciao.